In John 14, Jesus is addressing the disciples. The traitor is gone to seek men to kill Jesus. And Jesus has three chapters in the Gospel of John, 14, uh, 15, and 16, where he teaches them, and in 17, he prays for them. Listen to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Listen. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus, thank you for spending the final hours before your crucifixion teaching the disciples, and thank you, Holy Spirit, for leaving that written down in Scripture for us so that we would hear of the power of prayer, the presence of the Spirit, the certainty of your nearness, Lord, and your presence when we are distressed and we fear we are alone. Lord, as the disciples once asked you, I ask you now, teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been to a sermon and left the church wondering what the point was? I know you have because you've come to church here before, and sometimes I've been the guilty party that has preached such a sermon. It's a grave danger and a real damage to spend time opening the Bible, reading the Bible, one person or more trying to explain the Bible, and people to leave not knowing what the point was. It happens. No responsible pastor or preacher wants it to happen, but it does happen. So I want to dispel all such dangers and risks this morning by telling you whether you're online, hello folks, or whether you're here in the room, I want to tell you what the point of this sermon is. It's very simple. The point of this sermon is to cause you to pray. Along the way, you may know more about prayer, and that'll be good. You certainly will, I hope, be encouraged to pray and motivated to pray and understand why you should pray and what, with what confidence you can pray. But all of that will be for naught. It'll be meaningless if you don't pray. Prayer is one of the most neglected gifts in the life of the Christian. I know this because I'm guilty of it. The promise of prayer is that God's child, God's son or daughter here on earth, ignorant, frail as he is, mortal as she is, can speak in a moment, in the name of Jesus, to God the Father, and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
all take interest. And the father listens, and in the name of the son, with the help of the spirit, he not only listens, but his care and his love, which are constant and permanent for the child, actually moves in response to prayer. And yet we don't pray. It's the only thing the disciples I can find in the New Testament ever specifically asked Jesus to teach them how to do. Imagine that. They saw him work miracles that literally changed the world, that controlled nature. Natures of a sort that made Peter fall down at his feet and say, get away from me because I'm sinful. He wielded that kind of power, and yet I find in the New Testament, the disciples asking him, after seeing him pray, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And that's the point of today's sermon. Last week, I told you that God gave you his word so that you could meet with him. God gave you his word, in other words, in the Bible that you're holding, the Bible that I just read from, the Bible you just heard read to you. That is the word of God. And he gave that to you so that you could meet with him to grow in the meeting with him, to grow by his love into the person that your heavenly father wants you to be. That is the point of God speaking to you. Wise parents always speak to their children with purpose. It's not always the same purpose, but they're always purposeful when they address their children. And the God who made you, he is a perfect father. He's not subject to any of your frailties. And let me tell you on the front side, when you hear me repeatedly say in church, or you hear anybody say, or maybe even you read in the Bible that God is father, for many of you that brings up so many negative images that it actually hurts in your relationship with God and makes God seem distant or abusive or neglectful or whatever your earthly dad was. And when the Bible speaks of God as Father, his very favorite way of explaining himself to us, it doesn't mean that the Heavenly Father is a souped-up version of your dad. It means that God is perfect in all of his fatherly ways and purpose. Some of us don't dare believe that we are loved like that or that God can be like that because of our earthly experiences, but your Heavenly Father who made you is perfect in all that he does. And seeing you lost in sin, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in other words, God himself acted in singleness of purpose, in love towards you to bring you back at the expense of the life of Jesus that we've just been singing about. And he saved you and gave you a new identity. And according to the gospel, you are now a child of the Father, a son or daughter of the Father, and also a brother or sister to Jesus. You're in the family of God. You heard Jesus say at the end of the Gospel of John that, they, that the person in relationship with God would be loved by God and loved by the Lord. That's why God gave you his word, so that you could meet with him. And in that meeting, not just making an intellectual exercise, which is the peril of Bible study always, and why some jokingly call seminary cemetery, Because it makes people so intellectually interested and in some cases so intellectually proud that they lose the point. That the point of the book is not understanding the book. The point of the book is to know and understand and love God. To grow by his love into the person he wants you to be. That's why God spoke to you and he gave you prayer for the exact same reason. When you pray, you close the conversation loop with God. When you pray to God, he's no longer speaking, you are. 
When you open your Bible and read it, he speaks to you. When you pray, you speak to him in return. And again, it's astonishing. If I'm very honest to assess my life of how much time and what attention and interest and focus and diligence I've given to prayer, it's absolutely amazing how I've neglected it. And maybe you have as well. Because we're a celebrity-struck culture, have you noticed? You have friends who take awkward pictures with celebrities in the background? There in the back is a celebrity looking very annoyed that somebody else is doing this again. I'm married to a woman who is quite different than that. When Chick-fil-A first opened here in Huntington Beach, and what a great day that was. (laughs) Our nearly perfect city took one closer step to perfection. Uh, My wife and I were early adopters at Chick-fil-A, and in one of our trips there, I won't name him, but one of the most famous Lakers was there. In a sport of big men, this is one of the biggest. And it's very obvious who this is. He's an all-star. And he's at least two feet bigger than anybody else, two feet taller than anybody else in the restaurant. And he stood with a very obvious interest in being recognized and being celebrated and being asked for an autograph. My wife, completely indifferent. She made eye contact with him and he kind of looked at her like, yeah, yeah, it's okay, let's get this over with. And she said, would you excuse me? I need some ketchup. And he was (laughs) visibly hurt to step aside and let this tiny little mom get her ketchup and uh, other condiments and retreat to her table with no further interest in talking to him. And he was shocked. And he was shocked because he never gets that reaction. Almost any of us, I myself, because I've been the guy taking the awkward picture. I was once rebuked by Dallas Cowboys great Michael Irvin for taking his picture. He was tired of it. I apologize. We made friends for about 30 seconds. And here I am telling you about it because I'm still kind of excited that I talked to a guy. who gave me so much football joy in the 90s. And it's been a long time, by the way, since the Cowboys have given me much joy. (laughs) Why am I telling you all this? Because we are thunderstruck that we would be in the presence of someone famous, someone wealthy, someone accomplished. And the God of the universe, who made them all, is impressed by none of them. And will call them all to account, reminding them that they they are all mortal. And we'll answer to him alone. He loves to hear from us. He tells us over and over again to speak to him. And we don't. That's the tragedy of the misuse and the neglect of prayer. I'm giving you some definitions before we let Jesus teach us how to pray. Prayer is not hoping, it's not worrying, and it's not working on the issue. Hoping for something is natural and biblical. You can hear of Christian writers in the Bible speak about their hopes for certain outcomes. That's normal. That's part of the human condition. Worrying is pointless. Worrying is not prayer. When you pray, you talk to God. When you worry, you talk to yourself. And you're a poor audience and not very good at talking. It's not working on the issue either. Working on the issue is natural and normal. And in fact, it may be commanded by God. And you can certainly do more after you've prayed, but you can't do anything greater than pray until you do. 
When you pray to God and ask his blessing and his direction, his enablement, his wisdom, his guidance, you give confession of your own ignorance, your own frailty, your own sinfulness, and you get all that settled with him by talking to him, reflecting on the things he's told you in his word, and then you go out to work on the issue, now you're on the right track, but perhaps your experience is more like mine. I will worry, I will work, and having been defeated on every count, then I will turn to God in prayer. Anybody else do this? My wife, again, who's a wise woman and is home today, I'm reasonably sure I left pretty early, will be mortified and I'll hear about talking about her as much as I have this morning, but she's a wiser woman than I am. She's a wiser woman than I am a man, and she sometimes says to me very gently when she sees me, wrapped around the axle. Bruce, have you prayed about that? And the honest answer is, no, I've given it a great deal of thought. I've kept my own counsel. I've looked for advice. I've worked my eyes out. But honestly, aside from a little burst of, oh, help me, God, I haven't really talked to the Father about it. And how foolish is that? Prayer is talking to the Father in the name of the Son with the help of the Spirit. That's what we just read in John's Gospel. That's a simple definition. That's my definition. There's more that could and should be said. But a very simple way of understanding what you're doing when you're praying is this. You, in the family of God, are speaking to your father in the name of your brother, his only begotten son, Jesus. And while you speak to the father in the name of the son, you have the help of the Holy Spirit. It's astonishing all that happens. In the Godhead, in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when one of us dares to pray. Another definition to help you along the purpose toward praying. Prayer is a means that God has provided. It's a means, it's a way, it's a tool, it's an instrument, it's a blessing, it's a gift. It's a means that God has provided for three things to happen. For you to experience his love. For you to participate in his work and for you to receive what you need. All of those three things are always in play. When you pray, God wants you in your moment of prayer to experience his love in whatever condition you've come to pray. If you've read the Psalms, you know that prayer is valid in every tone, season, and color of life. There are prayers of lament, of deep heartbreak that say to God, God, I'm searching for you, but I cannot find you. I don't know where you are in this circumstance. That's prayer. That's speaking to the Father in the name of the Son with the help of the Holy Spirit. There are also prayers of praise and thanksgiving and celebration and worship. And all the Psalms are laced with requests Because God not only wants us to experience his love, he also, in drawing us into relationship with him by his love, he wants us to participate in the work that he's doing in the world and as his beloved children. Because he loves us, he wants us through prayer to receive what he already knows we need. To speak to that specifically, let me quote James, the brother of Jesus. Read this with me. It's on your screen. It's on your outline. Let's read this together. James, by way of teaching factious, divisive, warring, conflicting Christians. That's the context. If you're familiar with James chapter 4, they are fighting each other. They're tearing each other up. They're consumed with selfishness and passion. 
for themselves and against each other. And by way of correcting that, James gives them two great corrections, two course corrections to prayer. Here's what he said. Read with me. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Two ways to go wrong in prayer. What's the first? Not to ask. Every time I let it be known that I'm going to be talking about prayer, and this was not the exception, someone will touch base with me to tell me some version. It happened twice again this week. When I pray, I don't ask for anything. And it seems very grateful. And I believe in one of the instances that I heard this week, that was exactly the point that was made. I have so much. I don't feel like I should ask for anything. Whatever the motivation is, your heavenly father wants you to ask. And that's where your mind stops. You say, well, he already knows what I need. Why would I ask? Let me just give you an adjustment that according to one of my professors in seminary, one of the first classes I took, but I'll never forget, many years ago, he explained that our, minds, our mindset in the West is very different from the mindset of the East in the times when Israel lived and later when Jesus taught. Our thought is this, since God knows everything, there's nothing to tell him. If God knows everything, if he's in charge of everything, if he's sovereign over everything, why bother talking to him at all? There's nothing to say. I see some of you nodding your head because that makes good logical sense to us, doesn't it? We don't bore people with things that they already know in our conversations, do we? I'm getting to the age where I repeat stories and jokes. But I'm still young enough to occasionally at least have a little self-awareness and say, I'm sorry, I already told you this, huh? Go, yeah, but it's okay. It's a great story. Go ahead and tell it to me for the 18th time, right? <laughs> That's our mindset. Since God knows everything, there's nothing we can tell him. My professor said, the mindset of the Bible is quite different, and it's this. Since God already knows everything, there's nothing you can't tell him. Come to him with everything. You're ashamed, he already knows it. You're guilty, he knows that too. You're in great need and finally willing to talk about it. He's known you're in great need your whole life. He's seen it getting especially bad for you in the last two weeks. He's seen you worry, he's seen you work, he's seen you do everything except talk to him. James says, James, who among, by church history, not by the Bible, but by church history, was legendary among the first Christians as a man of prayer, says this, you do not have because you do not, what? Ask. And then, just so we're really clear that this is not selfishly driven, it's our Father we're talking to for His purposes so that He can love us, invite us into His work and meet our needs. You ask and do not receive. Some of you aren't receiving because you're not asking. Others of you are asking, but you're not receiving because you ask what? Wrongly. There is a wrong way to pray, of course. It's a personal relationship. There's a wrong way to talk to anybody, and particularly there's a wrong way to speak to God. So final definition before we listen to Jesus teach us how to pray. 
And thank you for indulging these definitions. They're drawn from a lot of different Bible scriptures that I'm not explaining at the moment. I'm just giving you some things to think about, some simple things to keep in mind so that you keep praying. When we pray well, we tell our Heavenly Father that we're aligning with His purpose. We ask Him for what we need and we tell Him all that is in our heart. That is what it means to pray well. We begin with telling our Heavenly Father that we are aligning with His purpose. We're not trying to bend Him to ours. We tell Him what we need because He's commanded us to and He rejoices in hearing His children tell Him what we need. And finally, we have the privilege of telling Him anything and everything that's in our heart. There's nothing you can tell God to surprise Him. The things that you find disappointing and heartbreaking, he knew them before they happened. He may find himself, as you do with your very small children, maybe you've, ever, you've had the experience of having a half smile on your face, waiting for your toddler to tell you what is so obvious that it needs to be talked about. Because the toddler's made a mess, the toddler's terrified, the kitchen is a mess. Terrible things have happened in this house, but... In the toddler's own mind, I can fix this. I don't need anybody's help. When I was a very small boy, my mother had the classic rule of no cookies before lunch, and it was an important rule because my mom baked all the time, which I thought was cruel. (laughs) No fair making two or three dozen peanut butter cookies with the little characteristic hashtag right in the middle of them, letting that waft through the house and say, not until we've had lunch not fair. So I was literally, I literally had my hand in the cookie jar when she came around the corner. I'm an only child, so I didn't have a spotter. (laughs) She came around the corner and said, what are you doing? I said, mom, I found this cookie outside the jar. (laughs) And I know your rule, so I was putting it back. She bought it about as well as you're buying it. And I wonder how often we must appear to our Heavenly Father, as silly as I was as a little boy, trying to explain to Him what's actually happening and how obedient we really are. No, you have in prayer the privilege of telling God all that is in your heart. Listen to Paul explain it to the Philippians from prison. Do not be anxious about anything. They had shared, he says earlier in the letter, they had shared in his suffering for the gospel. They had endured the same kind of persecution and ill treatment from their countrymen that he that had sent him to prison. So he says at the end of the letter, knowing that they're on the anvil, same as he, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's a dense sentence I want to cut through to the most important part, to the instruction. Do not be anxious about anything, but let your request be made known to God. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. How should you pray? With thanksgiving. Even your present suffering, even in the cause that you have now to worry, you already have so much, including the privilege to speak to Him. We want so much sometimes here on earth to get access to the people we know can make a difference. 
because there are wise, intelligent, powerful, wealthy, influential people, and we think if I could just talk to them, if I could help them understand my need, if I could get them on my side, all would be well. You have the God of the universe who's telling you to talk to him. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Don't forget to be grateful. Let your request be made known to God and look what will happen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Military language in the Greek language of Philippians chapter 4 verse 7. The peace of God will stand post It's not a mystical thing that descends upon you. It is the peace of God, knowing that you have been heard by your Father and you are loved by your Father even when your circumstances don't change. The peace of God garrisons, protects, guards your heart and your mind in His Son who made it all possible, His Son, Christ Jesus. That by way of telling you what prayer is and why you should always pray. Why, however grateful you are, you should never stop talking to your Heavenly Father about what you need. Now, look with me in Matthew chapter 5, and let's ever so briefly let Jesus teach us how to pray. This is the master class on prayer. Matthew chapter 6. I believe I said Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, Jesus said. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. That takes me right back to Bible college because there was a certain kind of Bible college student that wanted it to be known when he was praying because his voice, his tone, his entire personality changed just like that. Be talking like a normal person, and then would you please lead us in prayer? Our Father, (laughs) we pause before thee with gratitude to bring as thy humble, thee, thou, what, what happened? It's Elizabethan English. You became William Shakespeare in a matter of moments, and then finally the Amen, and he's back to being Rick. It's the most amazing thing. Jesus accounted for all that. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Here's the problem, that they may be seen by others. Public prayer is not forbidden. Jesus prayed in public, so did the apostles. What is forbidden is to make the motive of speaking to your father impressing other people. That's wrong. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your, who? Who is it now we're talking to? To your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Notice how many times the word father is being mentioned. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, pagans who don't know God. They do not have God as father, at least not yet. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them for your who? Your father knows what you need before you ask him. 
The confidence in prayer is that we are speaking to our Father. You're speaking to a great king, but the great king is your father. You're speaking to the creator of the entire universe, but the creator is your father. You're speaking to the eternal one who not only has life and gives life, you're speaking to the one who is life, who has all wisdom and uses it for his own good pleasure. That person is your father. That's your confidence that when you pray, you are speaking to your father. And please, please, please remember, we pray to commune with him, not to impress others. Jesus wisely says, cut off any possible motivation of you praying to see what other people will think about it by locking yourself in. The hypocrite, they already got their reward. People say, very wise man. Oh, did you hear that prayer? Boy, heaven came down, didn't it? If that was his point, ta-da, congratulations, you made it. Everybody thinks you're awesome. God disdains all of it. Of course. How would you feel if you learned that someone who had sought your company was only talking to you because they wanted to impress somebody else? Would you feel used? Absolutely. We pray with confidence also that our Father knows what we need. We don't pray in fear that we must wear Him down. Listen again. When you pray, verse 7, do not heap up empty phrases that the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Martin Luther said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, it is laying hold of his willingness. When you pray, you take the willingness of God at face value that he has told you that he wants to hear from you and he wants to answer you. This is a very American thing I'm going to say next. It's an easy thing to miss because of our culture. When we pray, we must also remember that not only are we speaking to our Father, we must remember that because of that, we are not alone. When we speak to our Father, we are with Him and we also have one another. Notice that Jesus taught the disciples to pray, Our Father. Not my father. He is. But Jesus speaks in the plural. The epistles are written in the plural. And this is a very distinct American thing. I say that on the confidence not only of Bible study, but being bicultural, raised in a different country. It is not nearly as fiercely as individualistic as the United States is, because oh boy, I mean, we have corporate slogans. Some of the big, one of the biggest companies in the world says, you can have it. Your way. Do you notice how quickly you said that? You didn't even know where that was going, but I say you can have it your way. Of course, my way. My way's the best way. And if I don't get it my way, I mean, we've had people call 911 because they didn't get their order right at the drive-thru in this country. A helpful corrective is remember that Jesus taught us to pray to our Father. Yes, to lock ourselves in, to commune with Him. But even when He taught His disciples to pray, the pronouns are all plural. Because we're family. It's not just you and God alone. It is you and God and your brothers and sisters in his family. And we are explicitly told we are to bear one another's burdens and we are to pray for one another. Please, 
When you hear me saying that the purpose of this sermon is for you to go out there and pray more, please hear also, pray more, yes, but pray not only for yourself, pray for others. We're in a generational crisis. There's a whole bunch of kids that don't remember what it's like not to live in a pandemic. You aware of that? As we edge into year three, there are now eight-year-olds who this is, this is the way life has always been? What will the damage be? What will the unintended consequences, what will the losses, what will be misshapen by this new life? We have to pray, not only to Him, we have to pray, as the Bible says, for one another. The entire Lord's Prayer is written with plural pronouns because number three, we're told how to pray. Verse 9, pray then like this, because you are to pray to your heavenly Father who listens in secret and who will reward you. Because you can pray to the Father who, according to verse 8, you don't need to wear down because your Father already knows what you need even before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? That means that first you pray for God to be honored. You want whatever else happens as a result of your prayer, your chief interest is that the name of God we be held up as high and holy. That whether you receive your answer or not, or whether you are told to wait, or whether you are told that you're wrong and to come and ask again in a different way for a better thing, The front side commitment of prayer, the first thing that is asked for is that the Father who is in heaven will have his name hallowed, revered, held up in great and high esteem. Let me ask you, is the name of God held in high esteem in America in 2022? No, it's a swear word. It's a casual exclamation. It's a joke. The prayer of someone who really loves God is, Father, may they know you and see you as I know you to be. You don't deserve to be treated that way. These people speaking foolishly and wickedly, they are so far from you, they are in danger, they do not know. Father, hallowed, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Number 10, verse 10, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, secondly, you pray for God's will to be done. God is seeking and building his kingdom, not your empire. And the greatest misunderstanding of prayer and perhaps the greatest disappointment in people who have not learned to pray as Jesus taught us to pray is they think that prayer is a way of enlisting God to build our little empire. And it's not. It's a way first for the name of God to be held in high honor and for his will to be done in Huntington Beach, in Fountain Valley, in Westminster, in Garden Grove, to be done in California, to be done in America the same way that it's done in heaven. There's no opposition there. The rebel was cast out. The will of the Father is done perfectly in heaven and the prayer of the Christian is, God, may your will be done right here in our lifetime the way it's already being done in heaven. 
And then, and only then, Jesus taught us to pray for what we need. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And a little teaching. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What is it that you need, Christian? You need daily provision. You need daily bread. Don't you sometimes wish that Jesus would have said weekly bread? Monthly bread, wouldn't it be great to have the next five years laid out and beyond any danger? They're never like that. However much money you have in the bank, nothing is secure. Not for you. The money in the bank may be for somebody else. You don't know. You could lose it all. It could be taken from you. Or death may take you from it. Jesus taught us to pray for daily bread. Why? Because our Heavenly Father wants us close. He wants us to depend upon Him. He wants us to acknowledge Him and not get the silly idea, God will take it from here. Have you ever had that attitude with God in prayer? I catch it in my own attitude all the time. I'll be praying for some great need in our church, in my life, in my family's life. Finally, that thing is granted, and it's better than anything I'd ever prayed for. And I feel the burden of that need relieved because God has granted graciously what I wanted. And then I feel this surge of energy. I got it now. What? No. That's why Jesus taught us to pray for daily bread. Jesus also taught us to pray for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And you'll notice, after teaching them to pray, he spends two more verses with a warning. You are to be continually living, forgiving others, or you will not receive forgiveness from your heavenly Father. It's a very severe thing. I don't have time to go into depth in it, but if you are by nature and by disposition and by choice an unforgiving person, Jesus apparently would have you know that you may never have experienced the forgiveness of God yourself. Because people who know they've been spared from hell and judgment by a heavenly father are much more open-handed with their forgiveness toward people who sin as they do. We need not only daily provision, we need daily forgiveness from God and we need to extend daily forgiveness to other people. And the final thing that Jesus taught us to pray for, verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but what? Deliver us from evil. It is a great awakening for many Christians in 21st century America to discover that evil is real. We like to think that evil is not real, that it is matter, merely a matter of ignorance or carelessness, and it's not. Evil is quite real, and the only safe fight is the one that never starts. I'll close by explaining one of the dumbest memes out there very 21st century way to end a sermon to explain this final point. There's a meme going around that says the devil whispered to me, you cannot withstand the storm. And I, the next day I whispered back, I am the storm. No, you're not. 
You're not the storm and you're not in charge. Should you know real evil? And a different way to translate this same verse, some of your translations will have it. Jesus taught us to pray, deliver us from the evil one. If you knew the reality of sin and evil and destruction, you would pray only to be sheltered from it. The dumbest thing any Christian ever says is, bring it on. No, no. God is our refuge. A very present help in a time of trouble. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs to it and is safe. Not in his own strength. Someone who dares whisper back to the devil, I'm the storm, knows nothing about storms or the devil. What are you? You're a dependent child of God. You are dearly loved at the cost of Jesus' life. You have been given life by the Holy Spirit, and you are loved as a precious daughter or son of God. You are loved more than you can ever imagine. And your heavenly Father, who knows all that you need, asks you simply, come to me. Let me speak to you in the word You get the privilege, and I'm asking you and instructing you and commanding you and pleading with you to talk to me in return. Talk to me privately so that nobody else, so that you won't be tempted by impressing anybody else. Talk to me in the confidence that I'm not merely an impersonal king. I am your very father. Remind yourself that it's my kingdom, my rule, and my will that matters most. My name is greater than yours, so line up under it. Tell me what you need day by day. Ask and receive my forgiveness. And by the way, give it to everybody to whom you owe it, all your debtors. Give them the same kind of forgiveness that I've granted you and ask me to protect you from evil because I know better than you all the danger that you're in. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. My prayer, my purpose in sharing all this with you is that you will pray what matters most if God has given all this is to make it to the meeting. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you now by your grace to teach us to pray. If there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus as Savior, who has been living self-willed and self-directed, Give them, Lord, the grace of repentance to turn from their sin and ask Jesus to be their Lord, boss, and Savior this morning. And for all of us, including me, who have been lax, neglectful, reluctant, misunderstanding in prayer, help us speak to you with the confidence of knowing how we are loved. Let us pray today. Granting us life tomorrow, let us pray again tomorrow. Let us always let you speak first in your word and then let us learn to enjoy and give you undistracted attention as we pour our our hearts to you. We don't know how to pray as we should. Your word tells us that. But thank you for teaching us and helping us so much that we can have the confidence that our prayers please you. We are heard and we are loved. In Jesus' name and Crosspoint said, Amen. amen. God bless you folks. Love you.